With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Happy Monday to one and all. Welcome into the Zunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. And I know many of you north of the border are celebrating a holiday today, so... Very good on all of you that are doing so, and thank you for tuning in, as we've got a terrific show for you. Scott Seidenberg of NBC Sports Radio on the Believe Podcast Network going to be joining me in the second segment. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on a little bit of a shorter slate today, and a little something I like to call touch them all. Only six games in baseball, but we're certainly going to try to make you some money, and I'm going to try to make you some money by looking at some of what we saw yesterday and try to find some trends from it. As always, feel free to tweet in questions that you have for the podcast at Squared one This is typically the spot where I answer them. Just did not get in any any today, so let's just take a look back at yesterday and try to become better handicappers from it. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for Rakers and Fakers. Well, we did have a Yankees versus Red Sox game, but I just don't know how much we're going to be able to take away from these two games that we saw in London, as in this one, it wasn't quite as harebrained of a score, but 12-8, to the Yankees take down the Red Sox for all of us that were on the over. It was a very easy cash as the Boston Red Sox were able to get Four runs in the first inning off of Stephen Tarpley. Needless to say, things did not go well. And pretty much all the home runs for the Boston Red Sox occurred in the first inning. Xander Bogart's his 16th home run of the year. Christian Vasquez his 11th. J.D. Martinez going deep for his 18th as for Tarpley. Not a good start as he gave up those three home runs. Got to give credit to Luis Sessa for coming out of the bullpen and providing four strong innings and not giving up any runs. And then from there... Adam Adovino, Tommy Canley, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman all did their job, and Jance Adams wound up giving up four runs and only recording two outs. But for the Boston Red Sox, their bullpen let them down a little bit as well as Eduardo Rodriguez actually a good start in this one. He did have four walks, but in five and a third innings, he gave up two runs with this ballpark playing the way that was. It actually was pretty good. Colton Brewer got two outs, and then Marcus Walden and Matt Barnes. They combined for one out and give up seven runs, and you had two extra runs given up out of the Boston Red Sox bullpen. They wind up going a combined three and two-thirds innings, giving up a grand total of ten runs, nine of which were earned. Obviously not ideal, and obviously a black eye for the Boston Red Sox. A black eye for the Baltimore Orioles was not being able to score at all on Sunday as the Cleveland Indians are able to salvage a game from the series by a count of 2-0. 
Shane Bieber with another tremendous start for this team. He goes eight innings. He gives up just three hits, 11 punch outs. Shane Bieber has been a little bit hit or miss. In this one, he was on. Brad Hand is able to get the save from there. And for the Cleveland Indians, they wound up getting 10 hits, but they didn't do much with them. They left 10 men on base, but they were able to do enough to get the win as Gabriel Yanoa for the Baltimore Orioles actually a good start. He winds up going five and a third innings. He gives up just one run. And the Baltimore Orioles, they combined three and two thirds innings out of the bullpen. Just one run was given up. That was by Sean Armstrong. He now is a 5.46 ERA, so that is actually lowered quite a bit. Just the offense, after scoring 13 runs each of the past two days, wound up going a little bit cold. The offenses of the Kansas City Royals and the Toronto Blue Jays certainly were not cold on Sunday, as it was the Kansas City Royals being able to get a 7-6 win. For the Kansas City Royals, it was Jorge Soler really doing the damage. He hits a home run off of Nick Kingham, his 22nd home run of the year. You did have Brad Keller, who got the win, even though it wasn't his best start. Five innings pitch, he gives up six runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. In his first 70 innings or so, he gave up three home runs. He has now given up, I believe it is five or six over his last 15 or so. So things have really come back to earth for Keller. But Aron Sanchez, who... Actually, ironically enough, with Brad Keller entered into this game, one of the bottom eight least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues, he had a bad start. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Nick Kingham in relief just gives up that solo home run in three and a third. And then from there, Joe Biagini and Derek Law did their job getting a combined eight outs without giving up a single run. And you got to give the Toronto Blue Jays some credit for Justin Smoke. He hits his 13th to 14th home runs of the year, but the Kansas City Royals bullpen, they themselves did a very good job. Four innings of relief between four guys, Jake Diekman, Ian Kennedy, and Kevin McCarthy. So they were certainly able to hold down the fort and get a win. Another team that was able to hold down the fort and get a win, the Tampa Bay Rays, as they take down the Texas Rangers by a count of 6-2 to to be able to get a win in this series. And Blake Snell, after looking just absolutely awful in the month of June, a good start in this one. Six innings pitch. He does give up two runs, including a home run, but 12 punch outs being able to get the home run. For the Texas Rangers, Joey Gallo is 20th of the year. He has been on fire since coming off the injured list. And Jesse Chavez, not a great start, not an awful start. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, three of which were earned. And then from there, you had Jose LeClerc wind up giving up two runs, one of which was earned out of the bullpen as well. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, they just continue to be nails out of the bullpen. You had Chaz Rowe, Colin Pooch, Adam Kloreric, and Emilio Pagan all be able to combine for three solid innings out of the bullpen. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, their big hit came in the fifth inning, Tommy Pham his 13th home run of the year. You didn't necessarily have the big hit for either the Washington Nationals or the Detroit Tigers, but the Nationals behind Mad Max Scherzer wind up getting a 2-1 to win. Max Scherzer just continues to be masterful. He is now 8-5. I believe that he has now won each of his last six starts, by the way. As an 8 innings pitch, he gives up one run, 14 strikeouts, and you did have a big hit for the Detroit Tigers because that lone run he gave up was a solo home run to Brandon Dixon, his 11th home run of the year. And Jordan Zimmerman, coming off the injured list, seems to have finally found himself 6 innings pitch. He gives up four hits, one earned run. You had Joe Jimenez give up a run out of the bullpen in the eighth inning, but all in all, the Detroit Tigers pitching looks a lot better, including the bullpen. They just continue to be very, very anemic with the offense. The Detroit Tigers played one over last week, so that tells you where they're at. And Sean Doolittle, even though he got into a little bit of trouble, was able to close it out for the Washington Nationals. And another good sign for the Nationals was Anthony Rendon. So I did lie when I say neither team got that big hit. He hit his... 19th home run in the 8th inning. That was the difference maker. The difference maker in the Reds versus Cubs game was the fact that the Reds were able to jump aboard John Lester early as the Reds get an 8-6 win. John Lester winds up going 5 and 2 thirds innings. He gives up 4 runs, 3 of which were earned. 3 of those runs were in the first inning before he could even record an out. As for the Cincinnati Reds, jumping on him early was Eugenio Suarez hitting a home run, his 17th home run of the year. One of those men was put on base due to an error, so that's why there was an under run. And for the Cincinnati Reds. You had a terrific start from Anthony DiScalfani. Six innings pitch. Does not give up a single run. It was actually surprisingly enough the bullpen of the Cincinnati Reds that let them down. Michael Lorenzen gives up three runs while recording just out. And then Rossiel Iglesias winds up giving up three runs himself in a two-inning save. He was able to get the job done, but for the Chicago Cubs they did make a late charge in this one as Jason Hayward hit a ninth inning home run off of Iglesias, his 14th home run of the year. And Kyle Schwarber winds up going deep for his 18th thinger of the year. That came off of Mr. Lorenzen, but 
for the Chicago Cubs. Their bullpen also let them down as Kyle Ryan records one out. He gives up one run and then Dylan Maples winds up giving up three runs while recording just two outs. A little bit of an undoing there. A big undoing for the Miami Marlins in general on Sunday as the Philadelphia Phillies wind up putting 13 runs on the board. It looked like this game was being played in London as they take down the Marlins by a count of 13-6. It was Brad Miller and Bryce Harper going deep for the Phillies. Harper's 15th home run of the year. Miller is second. Jake Arrieta gets the win. Once again, not a great start. Nothing overly awful, but he just doesn't look like the Jake Arrieta of old six innings pitch. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then J.D. Hammer did get hammered in this one for two runs while going just an inning as Jorge Alfaro hit a home run off of Jake Arrieta's 10th of the year. But speaking of guys that got hammered, everyone that entered into the game for the Miami Marlins and threw a pitch wound up giving up a run. Trevor Richards winds up going five innings as a starter. He gives up three runs. Jeff Brigham winds up going three innings. He gave up four runs and then giving up one run in an inning is Jose Quijada. That is a little bit of a tough last name to say. Hopefully I said it correctly, but a Miami Marlins bullpen that looked to have been greatly improved certainly took a step back. The Chicago White Sox and Minnesota Twins played a very weird game as the White Sox get a 4-3 win. You now have the second most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues, Lucas Giolito, adding to the bankroll if you've been betting on him. He goes five innings, and he gives up just one hit. He leaves after 68 pitches. That's because in the sixth inning of this game, you had a very long rain delay. That forced the bullpen of the Chicago White Sox to go four innings. Evan Marshall certainly had his rough go of it. He wound up giving up all three runs at the Twins scored two of which were earned, and for the Minnesota Twins, being able to get that big hit for the team, Nelson Cruz, his 16th home run of the year. But then from there, Adam Colome and Aaron Bummer are able to combine for three innings and not give up a run. And it was early in this one, but Johan Moncada wound up being able to go deep for his 14th home run of the year. Lewis Thorpe gave that one up in five innings pitch. Actually good for his first start, gave up just two runs, and then from there, Ty Duffy came out of that delay, and he gave up two runs while going just a third of an inning. And then from there, Mike Morin and McGill are able to do a better job for the Minnesota Twins bullpen. The pitching for both the Pirates and the Brewers was on point in Milwaukee on Sunday, but it was the Brewers being able to get a 2-1 to win. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Stephen Brawl continues to get, deliver decent starts. He's not necessarily going deep, but four and two-thirds innings. He gives up just one run, and the difference maker in this one was Kyle Kripp giving up a run in the eighth inning. It's going deep for the Milwaukee Brewers off of him. Eric Thames, his 12th home run of the year. And for the Brewers, Zach Davies, who had been really struggling towards the end of June, had a terrific start. Five and a third innings, gives up just one run. From there, Freddie Peralta records five outs. Jeremy Jeffries, a full inning. And Matt Albers, a full inning of relief without giving up a run. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they were really hurt by fielding in this one. Four errors. It wound up not really resulting in any earned runs for any of the pitchers, but needless to say, they had to face a whole bunch of other hitters. Who knows what happens if you don't have four errors in that game. A team that has been making errors frequently so far this year, the Seattle Mariners, they wind up losing to the Houston Astros by a count of 6-1. to one. Marco Gonzalez had won each of his last three starts going into this one. Not the case against the Astros, as in five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then giving three innings out of the bullpen was Mike Wright. He did give up three runs, two of which were earned, as you once again had an error by the Seattle Mariners. But all in all, you can't be mad about that. But you can be upset about the Seattle Mariners' offense. Their lone run came in the first inning as J.P. Crawford, second batter of the game, winds up hitting a solo home run. That is his third of the year. And from there, Garrett Cole was able to set it down. Seven innings pitch, gives up just that one solo home run, 10 strikeouts. And then Colin McHugh, Ryan Presley, and Josh James are able to provide two innings of relief. So very good showing there by Garrett Cole and company. And for the Houston Astros, they were able to get all those runs without getting a single home run. They just did a very good job of getting men on base. Four of 13 with men in scoring position. The overs at Coors Field are just continuing to come in. They can't set these high, totals high enough. There was a total of 13.5 between the Dodgers and the Colorado Rockies on Sunday. That once again went over as the Dodgers, a 10-5 to winner over the Rockies. And it wasn't even as if the Dodgers were playing deep ball. No home runs for them. They just wound up going 6-17 of 17 with men in scoring position. And in this one, Kenta Maeda, the Dodgers starter, I guess you could call it not a bad start. Four and a third innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. Got his pitch count elevated. And then from there, Zach Roskup gives up two runs without recording a single out. And Yimi Garcia gives up a solo home run late in the game. But all in all, not a bad pitching display by the Dodgers considering the circumstances. Bad job by Chad Bettis in relief, though. He records one out and gives up six runs. I don't care what stadium you're pitching, and that's not good. Chichi Gonzalez, the starter for the Colorado Rockies, his second start of the year. 
I guess you could call it not awful, but you can't call it great either. Four innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then you actually had a very good display of bullpen pitching from Jesus Tinoco, who winds up going two and two-thirds innings for the Colorado Rockies after Chad Bettis just could not do his job. He wound up giving up one run in the process. And for the Colorado Rockies, you wound up having Charlie Blackman get his 28th home run of the year and David Dahl his 12th. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, things did not go as planned in San Francisco as they lose the final game of the series by kind of 10-4. to For the Arizona Diamondbacks, they didn't have any home runs in this one and they just weren't able to really touch Madison Bumgarner as Bumgarner, another nice start in this one. Seven innings pitch. He gives up just one earned run, nine strikeouts. The Diamondbacks were able to get to the bullpen, though, as Derek Rodriguez, failed starter for the team, winds up giving up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. He's actually looked a little bit better as a reliever, but not his best day there. But for the San Francisco Giants, one of their better days with the bats, they wind up going six of 11 with men in scoring position and getting a home run for the team. Kevin Pillar, his 11th of the year. And for the, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Robbie Ray has just begun to fail the team. Four innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. But even worse, Matt Andres, he gives up five runs without recording a single out. TJ McFarland gives up a run in an inning as well. So needless to say, the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen not doing its job. The LA Angels pitching in general not doing their job. They lose to the Oakland A's by a count of 12-3 for the Oakland A's. Just one home run in this one. Matt Chapman is 21st home run of the year, but I mentioned it on the podcast yesterday. The A's have been raking lefties. They have a top five batting average against left-handed pitchers. This happened once again. It's Andrew Heaney. Six innings pitch. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. You also had Cam Bedrosian giving up five runs in two-thirds of an inning. Problem was, only one of those were earned as Cole Calhoun and Tommy LaSalle both record their fifth error of the year. And it trickled down as giving up two runs, none of which were earned. Justin Anderson, a comedy of errors for the LA Angels, both figuratively and literally. The good news was Shoy Otani was able to go deep twice in this one. His 11th and 12th home runs of the year as Chris Bassett gave up one of those runs, but all in all, had a good start. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And then the other one came off of Aaron Brooks, who pitched two innings of relief and gave up just that solo home run. A team that has been scuffling quite a bit lately and is currently without Marcelo Zuna, the St. Louis Cardinals. They wind up getting a win over the San Diego Padres by a count of 5-3 in extra innings. Matt Wieter is a hero in this one. In the 11th inning, he goes deep off of Brad Wiak, his fourth home run of the year. Miles Mikolas, a decent start, I guess you could say, in this one. Six innings pitch. He gives up three runs two of which were in the first inning as Manny Machado hit a home run off of him in the first inning, his 20th of the year. And then from there, the St. Louis Cardinals were able to settle down and they got five innings of relief from the bullpen, not giving up a single run as Carlos Martinez, the headliner in this one, two two-thirds innings of relief. He doesn't give up a single run. And for the San Diego Padres, you did get a pretty good start out of Joey Lucchese. Five and a third innings, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And then it was Craig Stamen who gave up a run out of the bullpen. He certainly has not been his normal self, but this one was out on him as a fielding error by Manny Machado and another error by Famio Reyes really did him in and then Brad Wiak gives up that home run to Matt Wieters which winds up costing the team the game and for once we get to end the night with the New York Mets doing something good. They take down the Atlanta Braves by a count of 8-5. to five. Max Fried has certainly cooled down from his beginning of the year as he now has an ERA above 4. Not a great but not a terrible start in this one. Five innings pitch he gives up three runs all of which were earned but Of all the bullpens to implode, it was actually the Atlanta Braves who entered into this game with a top seven bullpen in regards to ERA that really let them down. Sean Newcomb gives up three runs in two-thirds of an inning, and A.J. Minter fails to record an out. He gives up two runs as the New York Mets were rescued in this one by a big home run by Todd Frazier in the eighth inning. The Todd father goes deep for his 11th home run of the year. They made him a pitch that he couldn't refuse. I hope you guys enjoyed this one as the New York Mets wound up getting a not-so-great start from Noah Syndergaard. He just hasn't been himself so far this year. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then Chris Flexen was flexing on trying to make his ERA even bigger. Gives up two runs, records just one out. 692 is his ERA. That's pretty impressive if he's doing that for a set of 10 on the bench press. But Wilmer Fott and Edwin Diaz wind up going three innings of scoreless baseball out of the bullpen. So obviously a very good sign for the New York Mets. Still an untrustworthy group, but at least it was something. So let's take a look at what we were able to learn from Sunday in baseball. Whenever a game is in London, just take the over. That's all I've got for you. The Cleveland Indians bats seem to be in a swoon as they score just two runs in their three-game series against the Baltimore Orioles. Aaron Sanchez is a starter that you just cannot trust for the Toronto Blue Jays. Perhaps Blake Snell is getting back on track for the Tampa Bay Rays. 
with a road record of 16 and 23 this year. The Chicago Cubs just are not the same team away from Wrigley Field. The Philadelphia Phillies are having to score a lot of runs whenever Jake Arrieta is on the mound, but perhaps they have found their offense. Lucas Giolito continues to be very profitable for you. The Milwaukee Brewers are continuing to be one of the better under teams out there in baseball, and perhaps Zach Davies has found his mojo once again. For the Houston Astros, Garrett Cole is certainly a guy that you could trust. Games just continue to go over at Coors Field, no matter who's out there. The San Francisco Giants are playing some overs. Sometimes it's because of their offense, sometimes not, but they're certainly on a binge there. The LA Angels pitching is not looking so good, and for the Oakland A's, they have now won 12 out of their last 16 games, so they are on a burner run. The St. Louis Cardinals are continuing to have Miles Mikolas give up a couple too many home runs, but for the San Diego Padres, their middle relief is not looking so good, and for the Atlanta Braves, their bullpen might have a couple leaks even though it has looked good recently so that was the takeaways from Sunday now let's take a look forward to Monday let's pick the brain of one Scott Seidenberg of the Believe Podcast Network and NBC Sports Radio and let's just have some fun and that is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Day. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. He does a little bit of everything. He does a lot of updates and a little bit of anchor work over there at NBC Sports Radio. He is a part of the Believe Podcast Network. He does a whole bunch of good podcasts. He's looking at baseball. He's very good at college football. I know that he's got a good early feel on college football season win totals, so he's got that all covered, and he's just a great guy in general. You can follow him on Twitter, at Scott's on Air. It is Scott Seidenberg joining me, and Scott, how are you doing today? G-Unit, what's up, brother? Not too much. I know that we're taking a look at the games for Monday and everything like that, but let's take a look back at what we saw on Saturday and Sunday with the Red Sox and the Yankees playing in London. I hope they never do this again. That was just completely random. You had a grand total of 50 runs scored in those two games. I was stupid enough to take the under in the first game. I decided to not make that mistake again in the second game, and sure enough, it flew over easily. What did you make out of this? Because certainly I know that they're trying to grow the game and everything like that, but I'm sure the good people of London didn't appreciate the fact that the first hour of the first game took an hour. Yeah, the conspiracy theorist in me wanted to bet the over strictly because of the fact that, hey, they're going to use juiced baseballs and they want to put on a show for the fans in London. The reason why I did bet the over in the first game was because they're literally playing in the third smallest ballpark in Major League Baseball. You look at Philadelphia, you look at Fenway, and you look at this ballpark in London, which is 385 to dead center. And I know I it's think a 16. 16- the smallest to dead center I've ever seen yes, in my life. It is 100% the smallest to dead center. And I know that there's a 16 foot wall, but here's what people didn't understand. London Stadium was built to Olympic standards, which means there's no wind. There's no air that gets in. So it's not like the balls were going to be taken down at any point. It was perfect to see home runs being thrown out of the ballpark. And I think that's what Major League Baseball wanted. They wanted to put on a show for the fans in London. I'm not saying they they used the juice ball. We can get into the juice ball because there is proof that the ball has changed in 2019. But anyway, I just think that they wanted home runs. They had a small ballpark, 330 down the lines, 385 in center field. They got home runs. They got a bunch of runs. And I do think that the travel and the off days messed with the pitchers a lot. And that's why you got Masahiro Tanaka on one side and Rick Porcello on the other, unable to get out of the first inning on Saturday. That was very unique. Typically, you don't see both starting pitchers not being able to get three outs. I can't remember the last time that's ever happened without there being ejections. That was just absolutely insane. And you do talk about the juice ball theory and everything like that. And I'm not sure about you, but... Trying to gauge these totals at Coors Field has been such a mystery to me because Coors Field, the past two years, had actually been one of the better under stadiums out there in baseball. Now, every one of these games, you're seeing the total set at like 13, and the total winds up ending up on 20 on so many of these games. I'm not sure how you've been handicapping this, but it's just so weird because you take a look at the Rockies. They've got the highest home ERA in the big leagues. They've got the fourth lowest away from home in regards to their batting. They score the most runs per game at home by over a run per game. And then away from home, 21st. There's something going on here. 
Yeah, it's crazy you mentioned it. The past two years have been unders historically. It's been two straight years of unders coming in in your profit margin at Coors Field. This year, it's reverting back to the Coors Field that we've grown to love for several years where the ball is just flying around the ballpark. And, you know, if you look carefully, it's not like there's so many home runs being hit. It's just that the Rockies have been tearing the cover off the ball. And it seems like any team that goes in there tears the cover off the ball. Now, the number was inflated on Saturday, which is why I had the under, because Kershaw starts, they don't go over 11 and a half or 12 runs. The number was inflated to 12. And I understand why it's inflated to 12, but that was an easy under on Saturday. The Rockies won five to three, but you're going to see this now. Books are adjusting, Greg. The number is going to get higher and higher for all of these Rockies games when they're at Coors Field. Sunday's number was 13 and a half. And you know what? It's a reasonable number. I can't hate it. I was actually on the over myself, as we do have Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on the podcast. It's one of those things where I'm just here like, you know what? Two weeks ago, 13 and a half is a number I would have never taken over. But just seeing what we've seen recently, it's one of those things where I'm just like, you know what? There's a little bit of value here. And certainly, I'm trying to find a little bit of value on Monday as well. And I think we've got a really unique matchup between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds. Tyler Molly goes for the Reds. Adrian Hauser for the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a situation where Molly, I think the Reds are four and 16 in his last 20 starts. And Adrian Hauser, terrific as a reliever, as a starter, things have not gone well. And appropriately, this is a pick em line with a total of 10. Right now, I'm thinking the best play on this game is the under just because we've seen in Cincinnati Reds games. 64% of them have went under so far this year. What's interesting is that it actually opened up at nine and a half and then it went to 10. Uh, I do think that it could come back down because I'm with you. When I first looked at this game, I thought under right away. And the fact that it's 10 right now, it, it, it makes me smile. I'd love to line shop a little bit and see where it goes over the next, you know, several hours, but. It opened up at nine and a half and quickly moved to 10, which actually might be in our favor for our unders. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. I have no idea why it moved to 10, but you know what? They'll always take a half a run as well. And I also find it interesting that the Giants and the Padres are going to be opening up their series. It's going to be Jeff Samarja going on the bump for the San Francisco Giants. And I find him to be a little bit of a mystery. He's going to be opposed by Allen, but with Jeff Samarja, he's had some good starts. But then recently, he's been getting banged around a little bit. He certainly did not have a good month of June. What do you make of this? Because I've been noticing with Allen, his AAA numbers were not good, and that's putting it politely. But in his first couple starts with Padres, it's actually been pretty darn good. You know, just the San Francisco team has been struggling so much. And for a team that you thought was coming to this year with a little bit of hope to have an okay season. And it just hasn't gone that way for San Francisco. As far as Samarja is concerned, you know, he's been so erratic because he did have a couple of starts, you know, early on in the season where he was limiting the runs, maybe three at most, but his past couple of starts are nothing you can trust. Five runs in five innings the last time out against Colorado, five runs in six innings against Arizona. Four runs in five innings against Milwaukee. You can't trust this guy on the hill right now. There's a reason why San Diego is coming in as such a heavy favorite in this game. And I think that's the right side. I can't bet on Jeff Samarja right now, knowing how inconsistent he's been. Absolutely. As it is going to be Logan Allen going for the San Diego Padres. The gentleman, like I said, at the AAA level, certainly was not lights out, but currently has a 138 ERA. What do you see when a guy from AAA has this immediate success from the big leagues as we do have Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on the podcast? Because typically, I do think some regression is bound to set in, and we just mentioned it was Jeff Samarja currently seeing a total of eight. The juice is on the over, seeing a couple places go to eight and a half, but seeing mostly eights out there. This is a spot where I certainly do think that the over might be the play, even though the Giants have been struggling. Just a little bit of regression with Allen and Jeff Samarja being well, Jeff well, when you talk about regression for a guy like Allen, I always like to look at their AAA numbers to see if it correlates to their success at the major league level. And yes, he's pitched well for San Diego so far in just two starts, right? But this is a guy at AAA this year who allowed more than a hit per inning and had an ERA above five. So the regression could be coming. It just could be that, hey, there's not enough tape on this guy. They're not picking up the ball out of his hands, but once... 
that teams and batting coaches around the league get a little sniff of him, they might be able to hit him a little better. But when the numbers from AAA or even AA to the majors don't exactly correlate, I always think that there will be a regression because, as they say, you tend to play to the back of your baseball card. Oh, absolutely. And I was taking a look at his AAA numbers as well. He was going less than four and a half innings yeah. per start in his first two starts, a grand total of 13 <laughs> innings. It's like, what the heck is happening here? This is just one of those things where you sit there, you scratch your head, you sort of shrug your shoulders. Now, I know that AAA El Paso, a little bit more of a hitter-friendly ballpark than other AAA ballparks, but man, it's one of those things where I don't make a lot of sense out of it. I know a lot of people are not making a lot of sense out of what Mike Miner is doing, but I have been riding the Mike Miner bandwagon. He and the Texas Rangers are going to be hosting the LA Angels on Monday. For the Angels, it looks like it's going to be Mr. Jose Suarez going. He was not announced as a start until the afternoon, so this game is currently off the board, but I really love what I've seen out of Mike Miner. So many people are saying regression is coming in. Regression's coming in, but if you've been betting on Mike Miner, even if regression does set in, you've made so many units that it's not going to matter. You're going to already be profiting Five and oh in the month of June. And the most impressive part to me was three starts when eight, at least eight innings, two starts of eight innings, one start of nine innings. When he's going deep into the ball game and that bullpen does not have to come in, that is a recipe for success. The other thing that I noticed during this winning streak for him, not a lot of run production. Sometimes this happens when I'm in New York. I've seen it with the Mets happen for years where a starting pitcher like it's Jacob deGrom last year or it was Johan Santana all those years ago when the pitcher is dominating, the offense doesn't back him up because there's no signs to it, Greg. It's just it's one of those things where when you know you don't have to put up so many runs and two or three might win the game, or in the case of the Rangers with Minor, it's four runs. Ironically, four runs in the last four wins for Mike Minor, the team has scored. But there's something about the players kind of not taking the day off, but the hitters knowing, hey, you know, our pitcher's not going to give up any runs. There's not a lot of pressure on us today, and there's not that impetus to kind of put up a 10 spot. Whereas sometimes you're a player and you take the field and you know that you got a pitcher that's going to give up five runs. You know, you got to score that night. The Rangers, they don't score for Mike Miner right now. They just don't. At least they haven't in the past seven starts. They haven't scored for him. I'm very curious what this total is going to come in at because the under has hit in seven straight Mike Miner starts. I'm seeing one offshore opener right now, and that's a total of 10 shaded to the over. I'm right now thinking under on that. That is for sure with the way that Mike Miner's been pitching. I know that the Angels have been picking it up with the bat a little bit, but they're having a couple pieces going in and out of the lineup. I know that Indrelton Simmons just came back, as we do have Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on the podcast. So that is something that I'm looking at. And Greg, let me, let me draw 10 and 1. The under has come in in the last 11. Mike Miner starts for the Rangers. 10 unders, 1 over. It's insane. The only pitcher that's been better to the under so far is Yoni Torinos for the Tampa Bay Rays. And ironically enough, the Tampa Bay Rays are going on Monday themselves. It's going to be Ryan Stanek, the opener. You got to think that Jay Beeks is going to be following him against the Baltimore Orioles. We saw just a weird Baltimore <laughs> Orioles versus Cleveland Indian series. You had the Baltimore Orioles win two games by a count of 13 to nothing. Then they get shut out yesterday by a count of two to zero. I have to think that the Baltimore Orioles are going to revert back to the Baltimore Orioles. And something I find unique about the Tampa Bay Rays as well is all but five of their actual wins so far this year have been Mm -hmm. my two-plus runs. So this is certainly a spot where I'm going to be looking at the run line, especially with the Baltimore Orioles bullpen, thinking that there's going to be some regression. The game has run line written all over it, right? Because you expect Tampa to be a heavy favorite against this terrible Baltimore team. You mentioned the stat. All but five of the Rays' wins have come against the run line. They've actually covered the run line in some of their losses as well when they were underdogs. So they've covered the one and a half. This is just a team that covers the spread. And the juice is going to be so high that there's no reason to take them with the juice, especially when you consider that Baltimore has been a team that has stung you a lot when it comes to betting against them, because yes, they can pull up that 13 nothing win over Cleveland when they were plus two and change. So I think this is run line or nothing on Monday. Absolutely. And are there any teams that you're looking at in regards to future value? I know that Monday, the slate is a little bit bare. You've also got a Chicago Cubs versus Pittsburgh Pirates game, but I mean, all in all, you only have six games on the slate, but I've been looking at the Oakland A's. They've looked absolutely terrifically recently. They went into Sunday having won 11 out of their last 15 games. They're certainly a team that is heating up. 
There are a couple other teams as well. I do think that there is a little bit of value on the Miami Marlins. I know that they lose on Sunday, but I think this is a team that is somewhere in the neighborhood of 23 and 17 or 23 and 18 in their most recent stretch as well. And they're getting plus prices every single time. I do think there are a couple teams that are starting to rise up. The Pirates offense up until this weekend in Milwaukee had been red hot. One of the more Yes, second best it's been the unbelievable over. the overs that have come in on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Their offense has been hitting at such an incredible clip. They slowed down this weekend. They only scored three runs on Friday, you know, two, one run on uh, on Saturday and Sunday. And you wonder, are we going to see this team take on the Cubs, the team that scored 10 runs, 14 runs against Houston, 11 runs, eight runs, seven runs in previous games, 11 runs in previous games? Which team is going to show up? It's going to be just a cool, beautiful night at beautiful PNC Park. Which team shows up for the Pirates against the Cubs? Because you know the Cubs fans travel well. There's going to be a lot in that ballpark. Might be a case where you look at the over, you look at see if it's around the nine, if it's hovering at that nine range, and then you go over. If it's at that 10, maybe back off a little bit. But that's one that I'm paying attention to just because of how hot the Pirates have been, and I like to think that this weekend might have been an, an, an anomaly as opposed to a cooling down. Absolutely. You've got Trevor Williams going on the mound for the Pittsburgh Pirates, a gentleman who had the best ERA out there in the big leagues in the second half of the year last year, but you do have Alzole, uh, hopefully <laughs> I'm saying that last name correctly, for the Cubs as well. Edbert Alzole going as well, and he hasn't necessarily been trustworthy for the Cubs. I will say he hasn't been like beaten around like a pinata or anything like that. But at the same time, it is one of those things that is a little bit unique. And is there anything else in general that you've been noticing that's been catching for you? I mentioned the Tampa Bay Rays. Run line has been good. Miami Marlins as an underdog. We've both been on the unders mm-hmm. with Mike Miner and Yoni Chirinos. And I've also noticed that all but two of you say Kikuchi starts have went over the one on Saturday, went over once again. Anything else? Overs in Yankee games have been incredible. Yes, oh, yeah. we saw we that, saw that, we over, saw the that over the weekend. <laughs> there's really, there's no hiding that. Overs in Yankee games have been uh, fantastic. But fading the Mets has been extremely profitable. This team right there with you. is such a disaster. And I don't think it's a coincidence that their struggles on the field can be dated back to the incident that occurred in the clubhouse with Mickey Calloway, Jason Vargas, and the reporter, Mickey Calloway having to give some BS apology where he didn't really apologize, and then having to call the media back down so that he can issue an actual apology. There is a lot of discourse going on in that Mets organization. There's people that are baffled that Mickey Calloway even still has a job at this point. They fired their pitching coach, Dave Island. They bring in a 84-year-old pitching game coordinator who does nothing. Edwin Diaz, they traded for this kid, yet they use him with really baby gloves and they don't let him go beyond one inning. But then you see when he blows a save against the Phillies in the last five runs in the bottom of the ninth, then maybe there's a reason why this kid doesn't even play because he's not that good. And they gave up way too much that Jared Klenick is phenomenal. I don't know why they gave him up. But Edwin Diaz is certainly not the closure that they thought. This team is a disaster, Greg, and I'm going to keep fading them until they bite me. The other night, do you realize I actually, I was dumb enough to bet on this team? I was dumb enough because Jacob DeGrom was on the hill. I was dumb enough to bet on this team. And what happens? DeGrom does his job, pitches well, and the Mets offense does absolutely nothing. And they lose the game and it winds up being a blowout because they allow runs later in the game in the eighth inning, so it didn't even matter. But I'm going to continue to fade the Mets until they prove me wrong. And this isn't a betting question, but have you ever seen a worse stretch for a bullpen <laughs> than the Mets bullpen? I would say the last two weeks. We talk about the Nationals having a six ERA out of the bullpen. They haven't been good. But right now, the Mets are making the Washington Nationals look like they have Eric Gagne back when he had like 50 straight saves. They are so bad right now. I've never seen anything like it. It's a disaster. They need some of the guys that are coming back for them off of injury. They need them in the worst way. Jerry's Familia pitched over the weekend uh, for the first time in a while, so he could be coming back. Who knows? Does he take over the closure job? Does does he steal Edwin Diaz's job? Why not? They got Justin Wilson coming back. He had a rehab outing as well, so maybe Wilson can be a big guy. And then Luis Avilan, the lefty out of the bullpen, Maybe he can get anybody out. So they're getting some reinforcements back. This bullpen could look a lot different next week, but right now it is trash. 
We do have Scott Seidenberg joining me, and we're seeing it all over the NL East. You had Fernando Rodney signed by the Washington Nationals. Now, he had one nice inning against the Detroit Tigers. Whoopie stinking do, but he's got an ERA of an 8-5. You mentioned Juris Familia. On this podcast, I always say in Spanish <laughs> for blown save. This year, he's been so bad. I mean, you had the Philadelphia Phillies on Saturday against the Miami Marlins blow a 6-1 to lead. Their bullpen is in the bottom 10 in the big leagues. I right now think that the Atlanta Braves should run and hide with this division because everyone else has no pitching, and the Atlanta Braves offense was by far the best out there in the month of June. Could you imagine if they did get Kimbrell, which is what they were trying to do? The Cubs ultimately wind up signing him, but it was Keiko and Kimbrell to the Braves. This team would have been a lock to win the division if they got Kimbrell. They still might be, but anyway. With the way that these teams are playing, it's pretty much a lock at this point. But what else is a lock is the fact that you do tremendous podcasts as well, Scott. I would like to close it up with this. Let the good people know where they can find you on social media and elsewhere. That's right. Follow me, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's Scott's on air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. And for the fans listening in the New York City metropolitan area, a little coverage alert or programming alert on Saturday, July 7th. I'll be hosting on ESPN New York, 98.7 FM. So plenty of Mets, plenty of Yankees. Uh, going to do a lot of baseball trade deadline coming up later in the month. So will the Yankees get a starting pitcher? Will the Mets get bullpen help? There's going to be a lot to talk about this Saturday, July 7th. So you want to be sure that you tune into that and just follow me on Twitter and I'll update you of what's going on at Scott's on air. Oh, terrific. A big thanks to Scott Seidenberg for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on a little bit of a shorter slate for this Monday on the Las Vegas betting board in something I like to call Touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And big thanks to Scott Seidenberg of the Believe Podcast Network for joining me in the last segment. As we are back here in these unique studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in that little special something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays going to be listed on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore 81. With some of these plays, we are all locked in, good to go, actually, with such a small slate. I don't think we do have any locked in plays, so that means that all the updated numbers that I do get will be listed on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore 81 as we've got only six games today and only four are currently on the board, so... A little bit thin, but obviously it is a day of baseball and there is money to be made. Per the usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, starting with 951-952. The Chicago Cubs are on the road facing off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Trevor Williams goes for the Buccos. Edbert Alzole goes for the Chicago Cubs. Like I said, hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Your total on this game is 9.5 over and under, both at minus 110, wherever you look. If you're wanting to take the Buccos, you're getting anywhere between even and plus 108. If you want to lay it with the Chicago Cubs, that is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 118. The Chicago Cubs were able to put on a nice offensive display late in their game against the Cincinnati Reds, but all in all, this is a team that has been a little bit hit or miss, which I find very interesting, and they're just not the same on the road as they are at home. You take a look at the Cubs on the road, 16-23 and 23 on the road, and then you take a look at their home record, they are 29-16 and 16 at home. That is something that really stands out to me. Pittsburgh Pirates, meanwhile, they've got a bunch of guys that are doing a great job of being able to slug, and the primary of which is Josh Bell. Josh Bell, 22 home runs, 70 RBI, 
301 batting average. That has been impressive. And then you've got Melky Cabrera and Corey Dickerson, both hitting between a 305 and a 308. And then you've got Jose Azuna hitting a 311. Throw in there, Kevin Newman is hitting a 327. And Brian Rounds a 355. You've got yourself a team that's doing a great job of being able to hit. Adam Frazier is hitting a 254. And then you've got Elias Diaz, Colin Moran, and Sterling Marte, all hitting between a 270 and a 280. And in the case of Sterling Marte, has done a good job of providing some power in a limited amount of at-bats. He has went deep 12 times. And you take a look at the flip side for the Chicago Cubs. You certainly have some guys in the middle of the lineup that are doing a great job. And it's all led off by Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo is hitting at 270. He has slugged out 19 home runs. In the case of Chris Bryant and Javi Baez, both hitting between a 284 and a 287. Bryant, 16 home runs. Javi Baez, 20 home runs. You gotta like what you're seeing out of Wilson Contreras as well. This is a gentleman that has done a great job with his batting average, and then whenever Victor Carantini is behind the dish, he's been supplying a good batting average, hitting just below 300 himself, but Wilson Contreras hitting 285. He's got 17 home runs on the campaign. Jason Hayward's hitting a 271. David Bode, a 257. Albert Almora Jr. and Addison Russell, both around a 250 themselves. And then with the Chicago Cubs, the bullpen certainly did not look good yesterday, but all in all, you now have Craig Kimbrell in the fold. You feel like there is some things turning around for this team because you now have Pedro Stropu might be suspended for that brawl that he had with Yasiel Puig, but I always like a good baseball fight as well. But with Edbert Alzole, very small sample size on this guy. 1-0 record, 208 ERA, but he's pitched eight and two-thirds innings. At the AAA level, he was neither great nor awful, so I do think that that's a little bit intriguing. And with Trevor Williams, I mentioned it in the interview with Scott Seidenberg, best ERA out there in the big leagues in the second half of the year last year, 2-2 two two record, 425 ERA. Since coming off the injured list, he's been a little bit rusty before the year. He's done a good job of being able to limit the hard contact, 65 and two-thirds innings. He has given up eight home runs. Not much of a swing and miss guy, 53 punch outs. And in his last start against the Houston Astros, he gave up four runs in 62 thirds innings. Start before that, seven runs in five innings against the Detroit Tigers. But I think that he's going to round into form. The bullpen of the Pittsburgh Pirates has a couple guys that you can trust, like Francisco Lariano. Kyle Kirk got used yesterday, so can't really rely upon him. But Felipe Vasquez is still out there as well. So for that reason, riding with the plus price of the Pittsburgh Pirates and the under. Currently, we ain't seen it on both of these, but. We're going to be going with both as we move on to another game out there in the NL Central. 953-954 on the bang rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers are on the road against the Cincinnati Reds. Tyler Molly goes for the Reds. Adrian Hauser for the Milwaukee Brewers. Your total on this game is 10 over and under both at minus 110. If you like the Brewers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus one of you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 107 or getting a plus price of plus 105. Meanwhile, with the Reds, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 108 and minus 115. I brought this up a little bit earlier, but it's just absolutely shocking how bad the Cincinnati Reds are whenever Tyler Molly winds up taking the bump. The team is 4-16 and in his last 20 showdowns, and his record for the year is... Two and eight, which I find a little bit shocking because while Tyler Molly, not necessarily the greatest starting pitcher out there in the world, he's not too bad. Meanwhile, with Adrian Hauser, this is a gentleman that has been doing a great job in relief. 33 and two-thirds innings, he's given up three home runs, but it seems like he's a little bit of a different starter than he is a reliever when he had his first start of the year against the St. Louis Cardinals. He wound up having about a nine ERA there. He wound up getting the start against the Seattle Mariners a few nights ago. He went two innings, he gave up three runs. Just must be a little bit of a mindset thing, and you can't think that you're going to be able to get great length out of Adrian Hauser. You're probably going to see a lot of Junior Guerra, a former starter, give this team multiple innings. So this is probably going to be a little bit more of a bullpen day for the Milwaukee Brewers. But for some reason, like I said, with the Cincinnati Reds, they don't necessarily put out great numbers for Molly. 435 ERA, 2-8 record. His big bugaboo is home runs. 82 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 15 dingers. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, you've certainly got a powerful lineup, and it's led by that man, Christian Yelch. 328 average, over 60 RBI. One of the top base sealers out there in the big leagues go along with 29 home runs. Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moussakis cannot be overlooked, though, as Yasmani Grandal, 265 average. He has went deep 18 times, and then you got Mike Moussakis hitting at 275. 23 home runs for him. You've got Lorenzo Cain and Ben Gamble both hitting right around a 250 to a 260. Orlando RC has been struggling a little bit with his 237 average. And then Manny Pina, Jesus Aguiar, and Travis Shaw have just been 
pretty much atrocious for the team, which is why Kesson here is back up at the big leagues. He's hitting a 270 between his two stints up there at the major league level. You got to think that Ryan Braun is going to be big for this team as well. He's hitting a 275. He's been able to supply a lot of home runs. And with the Cincinnati Reds, they've got a lot of guys that have been going deep for them so far this year, but Derek Diedrich has really hit a funk. He's got one home run in the past month, 222 average. 18 home runs is still nice for the year, but it's really Eugenio Suarez carrying the offense with regards to the power. 17 home runs, 48 RBI. His average is just below a 250. Joey Votto has done a good job of being able to improve his average. It's back up to a 267. Nick Senzel sitting at 269. Then you've got a lot of guys that are just hitting in between that, I would say, 239 to 250 range. Kyle Farmer is in that boat. You've also got Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig has been doing a better job of being able to supply the power as well. He has went deep 17 times now this season. You've got Kirk Casale hitting at 262. Jesse Winker is hitting at 248 himself. And then you've got Jose Peraza hitting at 222. Philip Irvin is hitting at 268. So you've got some decent averages. But all in all for the year, the Cincinnati Reds as a collective are hitting 236. And the Milwaukee Brewers are hitting more around to 250. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, 140 team home runs. I think that's going to be the undoing of Tyler Molly. But I do like the fact that the Cincinnati Reds have won the better bullpens out there in the big league. So I think they'll be able to hold down the fort after Molly gives up a couple deep shots, which is why I'm going to be going with the Milwaukee Brewers on the under. Currently seeing the seam coming in on the Cincinnati Reds. And for some reason, this total jump from 9.5 to 10 immediately. I'd like to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice on the 10. 9.55, 9.56 on the bag rotation. The San Diego Padres play host to the San Francisco Giants. Jeff Samarja goes for the Giants. Logan Allen for the Padres. Your total on this game, ranging between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8.5, the under is minus 120. The over is even. On the 8s, you have over juice of between minus 120 and minus 125. Under is between plus 105 and even. If you like the Giants, you could be getting anywhere between plus 148 and plus 154. Want to lay it with Giants if you want to lay it with Padres. Anywhere between minus 162 and minus 165. This is just too big of a price to be laying with Logan Allen. We went through it with Scott Seidenberg. This gentleman has been terrific in his two starts, 13 innings, 138 ERA, but at the AAA level, Logan Allen, I know he only gave up 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but still an ERA above five. He was getting rocked with regards to his hits per nine innings. And Jeff Samarja, he has been very inconsistent himself. He's given up 14 home runs in 83 and two-thirds innings. His walks have been ticking up as well. He's given out 26 so far this season. And you take a look at the month of June, Things just did not end well for him. Each of his last four starts in the month of June, he was able to go at least five innings for the team, but he gave up three runs and then four runs, five runs, five runs, going one and three in those starts. His only good start was really against the Baltimore Orioles, and well, that's the Baltimore Orioles. With the Giants, though, they have been struggling all year long with regards to the average. They're hitting 225 as a collective with less than a home run per game, but we saw them really break out against the Orioles and the Diamondbacks, and Pablo Sandoval has actually been a nice piece for the team. 280 average, 10 home runs. He's actually leading the team in home runs along with Kevin Pillar. Kevin Pillar has went deep 10 times himself. He's been doing a good job of being able to supply that, but he's hitting right around to 240. And then you've just got a bunch of guys that are hitting for a mint average of between, I would say, about a 250 and just under a 240. You got Mike Bustremski in that category. Joe Panic sitting at 232, so he's a little bit below it. Buster Posey hitting right at a 250. Brandon Belt at 227. Brandon Belt's been able to supply some home runs, but it just has not been great for this team. You've got Dominique Solano sitting at 290. That's nice. And Austin Dickerson has come out of left field and is hitting 295 for this bunch, but there's just not a lot there with the San Francisco Giants bats. And we're noticing with the San Diego Padres, they are getting a lot of guys that are shelling out the power. Fenmiel Reyes and Hunter Renfro, 24 home runs apiece entering into the team's game on Sunday. Eric Hosmer has his average above a 300 to go along with 13 home runs. He has supplied nearly 60 RBI. Manny Machado is really heated up as well. 280 average, 19 home runs. You've got Fenmiel Reyes and Hunter Renfro both hitting right around a 240 to a 250. Greg Garcia is hitting a 261. Got a little bit of mad bats as well. Will Myers, Ian Kinsler, Austin Edges, Francisco Mejia, all hitting a 221 or lower. But then you've also got Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting a 339 at the top of the lineup as well. So you've got to like what you're seeing there. And with the San Diego Padres, the middle relief has not been good. Brad Weak, Matt Whistler, guys of that oak, not getting the job done. You got to love the way that Kirby Yates has been closing out games. But even the eighth inning guy in Craig Stamen has been giving up a lot of long balls recently. Meanwhile, the San Francisco Giants, I actually like their bullpen. Guys like Will Smith, 
Sam Dyson, Mark Melanson, I know that he had a rough go of it a couple days ago, but have all been good. But I do think that Samarja is going to give up some runs. I think regression sets him for Logan Allen. I think the difference maker in this one is the Giants having the better, well-rounded bullpen. So for that reason, going to go with the Giants on the plus price and the over. Just in Wayne Simo because I'd like to be able to get a little bit of a unjuice eight if at all possible. And I would like to be able to maximize the plus price if at all possible as well. 957-958 is the last game actually on the board. As it is the Kansas City Royals on the road facing off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Clayton Richard goes for the Blue Jays. Glenn Sparkman for the Royals. Your total on this game is 10.5. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 110. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Royals, your plus price here is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 118. If you'd like to lay it with the Blue Jays, that's anywhere between minus 125 and minus 128. Going into the team's game on Sunday, the Toronto Blue Jays had a team batting average of 210 at home, and they've got the second worst batting average overall out there in the big leagues. They also now have Clayton Richard on the mound a gentleman who has given up three or more earned runs in each of his last four starts. An 0-4 record, 689 ERA, 169 whip. I always say that if your whip is a pretty good bench press for a set of 10, that's not good. 169 for a set of 10 is pretty solid, and he's giving up essentially a home run every four innings. He's given up eight home runs in 32 innings. Meanwhile, Glenn Sparkman actually has been decent as a starter. His ERA as a reliever and a starter, both hovering right around a 410. Now, you take a look at the month of June. He's had his ups and his downs. In his last start, he gave up five runs in five and two-thirds innings against the Cleveland Indians, but he gave the team at least five innings at all five of his June starts. And other than that one blow-up start, things went pretty well because his four other starts, he wound up giving up a combined eight runs in those four starts. So he has been relatively solid with Kansas City Royals. The bullpen seems to be improved as well. You've got guys like... Jake Diekman and Ian Kennedy doing a solid job. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, I've noticed that it has been on a little bit of a climb. We saw a little bit of a outburst of power early on in the game between the Royals and the Blue Jays yesterday. I think that was a little bit of an admiration, but Jorge Soler is certainly doing the job for the team. Only a 233 average, but he has went deep 22 times so far this year. Chesler Cuthbert hitting above a 300. He's been able to provide a good average along with Whip Merrifield also hitting a 301. You've got Adelberto Mondesi, the leader in regards to stolen bases out of the lineup, but Hunter Dozier has returned. He's hitting just below a 300 to go at 13 home runs. And then you got Alex Gordon still in the lineup as well. He's hitting a 266. Done a very good job of being able to drive in 52 runs. You do have some guys that are really letting the team down with the bat, though. Martin Maldonado, Lucas Duda, Cam Gallagher, Ryan O'Hearn, Chris Owings, all guys that are hitting below a 230 for this team. Nicky Lopez is hitting a 245, and then you've got Artiga out there at the shortstop spot, hitting right around a 235. But for the Toronto Blue Jays, got a lot of guys that are not providing with the average as well, as I went through a little bit earlier. Everyone at the catcher spot, Brandon Drury, Rowdy Telez, Kavan Biggio, Justin Smoke, Randall Gritchick, Rowdy Telez, Teoscar Hernandez, all hitting below a 230. I will say in the case of Justin Spoke, he now has 14 home runs so far this year. You've got Randall Gritchick, who has got 14 or 15 as well. Rowdy Telez has went deep 14 times, so you got a little bit of power. And then Lourdes Gurriel, ever since coming off the injured list, has been absolutely amazing. He's got 14 home runs for this bunch, hitting above a 300. Eric Sogard hitting a 313 as well, but you just don't have enough of that. And Freddie Galvez has seen his average dip to a 257. And Vlad Guerrero Jr. hitting right around a 250. He's done a decent job of drawing walks, but he hasn't been what we expected. So for that reason, I am all aboard the better starting pitcher in this matchup, which is Glenn Sparkman. And I am taking the total under just because both these offenses, not necessarily great, but we're going to ride out both of those. We move on to 959-960 on the bang rotation as... For once, it's actually the Tampa Bay Rays that have their starting pitcher listed as it is the Rays playing most of the Baltimore Orioles. Ryan Stanek is going to be going for the Rays, which means that he's going to serve as the opener and Jalen Beeks is going to be following him. And for the Baltimore Orioles, good old to be determined, which means that this game is off the board. I've dug and dug and dug trying to find out who the Orioles might be sending out in this game. We have no stinking idea, which means that I am going to be all aboard the Tampa Bay Rays. Run line here with Ryan Stanek. He's been solid as an opener. Last time he opened, he wound up giving up two runs in the first inning against the Minnesota Twins. That was remarkably that 18-inning game with the Tampa Bay Rays. One by kind of 5-2. But Jalen Beeks, all in all, I do like what he's been doing. He's been only pitching right around three or four innings after being followed by the opener, Ryan Stanek. He's been... 
It's essentially he and Stanek giving the team, I would say, six innings, and then they turn it over to the bullpen. But in the month of June, Jalen Beeks pitched 15 and two-thirds innings. He gave up only four runs for the year. He's got a 279 ERA, so he's been doing a very solid job for this team. And then you got to think that guys like Oliver Drake, Begon, Adam Clareric, and company are going to be following up. So I do like what I'm getting there. Meanwhile, with the Baltimore Orioles, they did a very good job in their series against the Cleveland Indians. They gave up two runs in three starts, but you're going to be relying on a Baltimore Orioles bullpen that has an ERA of right around six for the year. It's been really, really rough for them. I will say the Baltimore Orioles could very well scratch across a couple runs. You take a look at what Hanser Alberto has done so far this year. It's actually pretty impressive. 316 average against lefties. He's hitting nearly 400. And you've got Renato Nunez, who's been doing a good job of being able to supply some power. His batting average is not necessarily great, but he has been able to supply 19 home runs to go along with that 235 average. Got a lot of guys hitting right around that 250 to 255 range with this team as well. Jonathan VR. Dwight Smith Jr. certainly in that range. You got Pedro Severino who's up to his average of 277. We remember a few weeks ago he had a three home run game against the Texas Rangers. But then you've got a couple guys that are very famous with the bat. Richie Martin, Keon Broxton, Chris Davis, Stevie Wilkerson, outing below a 220. Rio Ruiz is in that neighborhood as well. But you do have Francisco now hitting a 267, Anthony Santander at 279. So you do have a little bit of support in that regard. And Trey Boomo Mancini. Well, he has been supplying the boom. He is still hitting above 300, not necessarily drawing a lot of walks, but 17 home runs himself. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, it seems like their offense is getting right as well after they had a little bit of a funk towards the end of June. Brandon Lowe has been slowing down a little bit, but it's still hitting 271, 15 home runs, 47 RBI. Austin Meadows has his average at a 291, so certainly that has zipped a little bit for him, but he still has 12 home runs. Avicio Garcia has done a nice job of being able to get on base along with Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham hitting a 284, 13 home runs for him. Yandy Diaz also hitting a 284. He has went deep 11 times, and then for Avicio Garcia, 275 average, his home run count currently at 12. So you're seeing a lot of guys with very similar stats. Kevin Kiermaier is sitting at 245, Willie Adamas at 253. Then you do have a couple guys letting the team down with the bat. Mike Zanino, Travis Arnaud, Joey Wendell, Daniel Robertson, who I believe is still on the injured list, all hitting below a 215. But you do have a Tampa Bay Rays team that's pretty solid, and they're probably going to be facing just a mismatch of bad Baltimore Orioles bullpen pieces. So for that reason... Leaning towards the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line with regards to a total. If this total is set at something like 8, probably going to take it over. If it's set above 9, might lean a little bit to the under, but it all depends on who the Baltimore Orioles trot out there as a starter. So as always, check back on my Twitter feed at squared one for set plays there. And you'll need to do the same for this last one. 961-962 on the bank rotation. It is the LA Angels on the road facing off against the Texas Rangers. Mike Miner goes for the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, Mr. Jose Suarez goes for the LA Angels. Now, I am seeing one offshore number out there on this game, and it is the Texas Rangers, a minus 140 favorite. The Angels, plus 130 with a total of 10. Over is minus 120, and the under is even. If I am getting this number, I would be all about the Texas Rangers in some former capacity. Don't know whether I would go money line or run line at this point, but certainly would be going with the Texas Rangers. And Mike Miner, we went through it in the last segment. This guy has been terrific. So many people are saying that, oh, regression's coming in for Mike Miner and everything like that, but a for record, 240 RA, a war of a 5.1, one of the greatest wars we've ever seen. And in the month of June, he wound up making five starts. He failed to go six innings or more in just one of them. That was one in which he went five and two-thirds innings and gave up zero runs against the Baltimore Orioles. We gave up a grand total of seven runs in those five starts. The team has been so wildly successful whenever he's taken them out. It's been terrific. Meanwhile, Mr. Suarez, the team is doing one in his starts, but he's not providing the team with great length. He's had four starts so far, 21 total innings, 5.57 ERA in his last start against the Toronto Blue Jays. Gave up five runs in five innings. Start before that, he gave up three runs in five and two-thirds against the Rays. So this is a gentleman that certainly is giving up the runs. The LA Angels bullpen we've seen has really regressed. Meanwhile, the Texas Rangers bullpen actually seems to be getting better. And for the LA Angels, you do have Tommy LaSella and Mike Trout being able to do good things for this team. LaSella has his average back above a 300 to go with 16 home runs, 44 RBI. Mike Trout hitting just below 322 dingers. He was a leading vocal getter for the all-star game. Then you've got a whole bunch of other guys that are hitting right around a 280 to a 300. Joey Otani, Brian Goodwin, Daniel Fletcher, Adrelton Simmons, all in that neighborhood. And Adrelton Simmons just came off the injured list. You've got Cole Calhoun and 
Albert Pujols both hitting between a 230 and a 235, but both these guys have a combined 30 home runs, so they've been doing a good job there. Justin Upton has seen his average dip a little bit to a 275. Jonathan Lucroy is not providing much for the same 232 average, but you do have to like that Justin Bohr, even though his average is still at a 290, is still at a 194, has been able to pick things up with regards to his power. He had quite a few home runs the past two weeks, so obviously a little bit of a good sign there. And then Luis Rangifo is hitting a 250. Meanwhile, the Texas Rangers, they have been slowing down a little bit with the bats. It doesn't matter whether it's Mike Miner or someone else on the mound, but the Texas Rangers, I believe, played their first over yesterday in their last eight games. So this is a team that has certainly been an under team recently, but they still do have Sinchu Chu at the top of the lineup. This is a gentleman that's hitting 278 with 12 home runs. Joey Gallo really supplying the power for this team. He has come back off the injured list with a vengeance, 286 average, 20 home runs. You've got a couple guys that are really not hitting well, to say the least. Ronald Guzman, Jeff Mathis, Tim Fedorowicz, Runet Odor are all hitting below a 220 for this bunch, and it's not going much better for Azurbo Cabrera, hitting right around a 230, but Logan Forsyth hitting a 260. That's been a little bit of a dip for him, but Willie Calhoun and Danny Santana, along with Elvis Andrews, are all hitting a 297 or better, and then Delano DeShields Jr. has worked on his average. He's hitting a 250, and you also have to like what you're seeing out of Noah Mazzara, who's hitting just above a 260. He's supplied a double-digit amount of home runs himself. So for that reason, I do think that the Rangers are going to get to Suarez. I think that Mike Miner delivers another gem. If we're getting the line that I mentioned a little bit earlier, would be playing that under along with the Texas Rangers, most likely on the run line, depending on that price. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNNRDiscord1 for set plays there, which is also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. A big thanks to Scott Seidenberg of the Believe Podcast Network for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, and let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.